0: Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Youthscape Podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me as always, Rachel Gardner. Last week we were talking about technology... And this week we have been struggling with technology. This is the one episode of uh, this season of the podcast that we're recording remotely. Uh, we've done the rest of them in the studio, but this one we've we've done remotely partly because of the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Uh, and Rachel, it would be fair to say that it's not been it's not been smooth, has it? It's not been a smooth recording. So we we started trying to record this about half an hour yeah.
0: ago. It's not. It's not been.
1: And, and why is that? Why has it not been smooth?
0: Well, I think because. I was sent technology <laughs> that I still left in a box and just assumed that any link that I'm sent on my Mac I just press it and hey presto, Dave does, producer yeah. Dave, does all the work. So who knew And what did that you think the box microphones... that we sent
1: you was for, Rachel? No what...
0: idea. No, no idea. <laughs> what? What? I was vastly disappointed okay. it wasn't a Zara voucher. <laughs> so I'm not sure. So yes, gentle listeners, it has taken a lot of grace and favour and kind and a few minutes ago, producer Dave was like, why don't you just switch a mic, like the, the cameras off so you can't see it because then it'll, it'll save the glitching. But I think it's mainly because Martin and Dave are just doing endless eye rolls and my inability to plug things in properly. So we're here. We made it.
1: Just about. We've got an episode. Just Let's about. do this. And, uh, <laughs> and and also a few weeks ago, we talked about, just to pull this whole season together, we talked about bins. Do you remember? I, I I went off on one about bins. Oh,
0: did yes. Um,
1: and I thought maybe if if I did a stand up routine, uh, which I chose not to in the end, I didn't do it. But uh, but if I'd done the stand up night, oh. I would have done a whole thing around bins. And because uh, I've moved house.
0: Bin- oh, I thought you were going to say my my microphone.
1: No, not, oh, no, but yes. that is that's that's the next one. Oh, but no, yes. I've moved house and there's a whole new world of bins, and um. It's got, I mean, gosh. Can can, we
0: just, can you just fill us in? Well, I
1: I think I need to, because it does tie into, you know, looking at the climate. So one of the things that we can do, obviously, is um, we can do um, recycling, right? And if there's one thing I can do, Rachel, Mm -hmm. is recycle properly. I'm a, you know, I've learned how to wash the cartons out. (laughs) Like I know what to do, but now there's a new bin, this place. There's a brown bin. I don't even know what the brown bin was for. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I, I keep getting it wrong. I keep putting the wrong one out. I put the brown one out. No one takes it. I think I put the wrong things in it. Um, and, uh, and, and also there's very much a culture in the neighborhood. They all put their bins out at the same time. They put out each other's bins. They're not, they're not touching my bins. Um, and I feel like that, that's, that's showing me <laughs> that I'm not accepted. I've not been accepted in the new community um, because they've not, they've not welcomed me into the whole bin culture.
0: I think I was seeing all your comedy around bins as purely that. But there's one thing you've just said that for me has moved this from comedy to a deep need for intervention. And it's when you said, quote, they're not touching my bins. (laughs) I just think there's something profoundly dysfunctional behind that statement. Shall we go there or should we just not? Is that just too disastrous?
1: (laughs) But they all move each other's bins. They take them in and out and they don't they don't do ours. It's like it's like a, a symbol that they haven't welcomed us into the community.
0: Oh, like they still
1: they wish that the lady who saying... li- used to live here hasn't moved out.
0: Oh, I see. No, I assumed that you were saying no, they are not touching my bins over de- my dead body. Are they oh, touching no. my bins? No, no, no. Sorry, I hadn't realized no, that, that was an invitation to them to, to get their hands
1: If if anybody <laughs> ever comes is... past my house and the Maybe... wrong bin is out, <laughs> you are very welcome to shuffle my bins. That's absolutely fine. But um, okay. no, they, they're not doing it. They are right. choosing to avoid my bins when they are all moving each other's bins. Okay. I mean, I, I, we can't see we can't see producer Dave at the moment, but I wonder whether he's no. going to leave any of this in.
0: Well, talking about recycling, I have a six year old who um, has been learning lots at school about recycling, which is very good, isn't it? Um, and but hilariously manages to get the three words. So, you know, the three words are reduce reuse recycle isn't it yeah but he can't quite say that so he says re-excuse but isn't that like really profound I was like what are you saying it's not it's it's like re-excuse the excuse meaning reduce, but I, I think there's something quite powerful in there because it's like he's, he's talking about excuses, isn't it? Like, and I and I think actually I am of the generation who had to learn about recycling. I'm in my forties, so it didn't come naturally. And um, but the number of excuses I think to not recycling, to not put the bins out properly, to kind of put your head in the sand, to kind of think what is the point of doing anything about this when it is you know we're learning so much about climate crisis. So I think that's quite a powerful little statement from my little boy. Like, what are the excuses that we make?
1: Rachel, I I, I, I didn't have much faith in that segue, but my goodness, you pulled it out of the bag. Uh, and <laughs> you, you're right. You're right. It yes. is a great yeah. way in to, to talking about today's theme. So um, today we are we're continuing our series into God knows what, thinking about the sort of strange uh, uncertain future that we're facing together as a youth ministry community as human beings with young people um and today we are thinking about the climate now mm. I, I can't believe i'm going to say this but don't switch off don't switch off and i say that because um uh, you know let 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 me be the first to say that i i too can look away from um uh this subject uh either because Uh, of indifference or fear or anxiety or all sorts of other things but we have known when noticed for, for quite a few years putting on events for youth leaders and young people that this topic which is always in the news which seems to be uh you know apparently a big concern for young people is often something that uh People choose not to engage with in various yes. ways so yes. we've run uh lots of conference sessions on this subjects over the years and 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 it often is the p- most poorly attended um yeah. you know seminar track at national youth ministry weekend uh we didn't have we didn't have lots of people there when we ran stuff on this at satellites um and i think that's important i think it's important to notice that we tend for whatever reason to look away and so In this episode, if you haven't, if you haven't already gone there whilst you were listening to me and Rachel ramble on about bins, um, you (laughs) might feel the need Mm. or the desire to skip to the next episode. And we want to encourage you not to do that.
0: Yes, to stay with it. Could we, before we get into the episode, could we talk about why is it that it is a topic that on paper we know is so important and yet people don't want to engage and particularly through the lens of young people because we we produced that report with Tear fund called "Burning Down the House," and I, and I go to events. I go to Church of England kind of diocesan events around the UK, and that those if stats from that are pulled out more than any other piece of research that Uscape has been involved with. I hear the "Burning Down the House," like it really, it really motivates lots of leaders that I talk to and listen to, particularly when they think about how the church connects with emerging generations. It's like, well, this is the thing that they all they are all really passionate about, and so the church needs to get a handle on. And I and I sit there. Uh, thinking yes i agree we absolutely have to be talking about this and the church should absolutely be leading on this but also the teenagers that i work with they they are they do care about the environment but they're not activists around it they 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 don't seem you know <laughs> to be particularly agitated about this and martin i'm not sure if it's because a kind of a deep profound apathy or even just deep despair has settled in where younger generations are saying look you guys have utterly messed this up for us so and now you're expecting us to mend clear up your mess so it's almost like this is too much of a burden or if because young people suffer from what all generations suffer from which is if it isn't affecting me immediately now then it isn't in my imminent frame like what what do you think is going on for young people? Well, I think it's a
1: bit of all of those things. I don't know how many young people are feeling the the deep re- resignation of despair. Um, some are. Climate anxiety is a real thing. and I think for some mm. young people, that is what's going on. I think you're right, uh, actually, for uh, the last thing you said is 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 true. Like if we don't immediately feel something, it's not only that we don't engage with it. We sort of try not to look at it. I think it's a mm. bit like that bit in the month where your bank balance is hovering over the point where it's going to go overdrawn and you stop looking at it because you just hope that somehow you'll stay in the black uh, until payday uh, now that may just be uh, my life but I think everybody can 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 uh, recognize that to some degree mm-hmm. and this idea that maybe um we we know we know this stuff is true but we hope that it isn't true yet and we mm. hope that, that we won't feel the worst of it yet and so we live on in a kind of mm, as we kind we of decide to be ignorant and decide mm. not to engage because to actually look the truthful in the face also means making some pretty drastic changes which make us uncomfortable and which will make our lives less uh, I don't know less fun less easy Um, and certainly more expensive there's a real you know there's a reality that the things which um, are going to be good for the planet that we might call green things will tend to be more expensive that's true with fuel it's true with clothing it's true with a hundred things and so Mm. it is often easier for us especially with competing demands and we talked a few episodes ago about intersectionality with competing demands and competing justices sometimes it is it's just easier not to engage because actually engaging comes with this huge cost but i think there's loads of things going on
0: yeah i I wonder as well is if we're thinking about our big overarching view for the whole season which is into god knows what i think there's a little bit of a modernist mindset that's being challenged here isn't there because the modernist mindset says essentially all the problems even the problems of our own making as human beings can be fixed If, if we throw enough cash at it we can fix it. And I think what I'm what I hear from the guest today is a challenge to that Modernist mindset, which doesn't mean that we don't do anything and and, and doesn't mean that our recycling doesn't matter. It does like it, we need to live more simply, we need to live more compassionately and mindfully. But actually, one of the things that if we take all these topics as a whole, that as leaders and as 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 Christians and as youth workers, we are leading young people into a world where maybe we're not going to be able to fix everything. And that is not to say we don't try, but that's a different mindset, actually. We're, we're more aware of our frailty and fragility, that we have messed up stuff to an extent that there's irreversible change. Um, and I think that's a difficult thing to deal with, especially when you have a a hope-filled theology that God will make all things new. And that and that was the kind of theology in the past that kind of led many churches and Christians to say, it doesn't matter what happens to the world. That's a terrible place to go. We don't want to go there. But I think how do we hold a hope-fueled theology while at the same time recognising that the modernist view, that human beings are going to sort it out in the end, is actually not what we can put our trust in. And I think This guest today chooses some very drastic action in that space. That's what he chooses to do. But you can see why, because that's what hope looks like. Hope looks like stepping into uncomfortable spaces and doing things that are outside of the kind of social convention because you care and are motivated. So I find this guest very, very quite agitating and deeply challenging today. And And he challenges my worldview a lot.
1: So uh, we're going to get into the interview now. And uh, again, I would encourage you. This is probably one of the hardest hitting interviews we've ever had on the podcast. It's do not expect laughs, um, but expect to be challenged. You might want to listen to this in a couple of chunks, but I encourage you to stick with it because Mm. uh, this man is a prophet. And actually what he has to say is the most important stuff you will hear today. Um, So this is uh, what happened when I had a conversation with the amazing Reverend John Swales. Um, And uh, yeah, it's a tough listen, but it's a really important listen. We encourage you to stick with it. guest uh, the reverend john swales uh john i'm gonna paint a picture for people because this is not a this is not a video podcast sadly but um you are wearing why assume are somebody else's headphones but it's a thing of beauty to be able to see you in these wonderful pink uh, headphones
2: yes absolutely it's my my daughter's gaming gaming headphones it's a the first things i could
1: find i think what's great about this is as we have quite a serious conversation about a serious subject you won't be able to take yourself too seriously it's a beautiful thing i love it a
2: f- fool for christ fool for christ. john
1: thank you for joining us <laughs> fool for christ yeah thank you for joining us on the Uscape podcast um do you want to start by just telling us a bit about um your ministry and and particularly about the amazing work of the lighthouse project
2: yeah great great that you've got me on the podcast here thank you thank you so much what what a sort of privilege it is um so i'm so i'm john uh based in leeds uh, church of england vicar uh, uh, married with four kids and uh, for a rest i go to work and what do i do at my work i head up a christian community a fresh expression of church called lighthouse which is church for those who are battered and bruised by the storms of life or another way of saying that it's for adults with multiple and complex needs, uh, such as addiction, crisis in mental health, uh, homelessness. Um, And I've been leading a wonderful team there for uh, about about 10 years, just coming up to our 10-year anniversary. It's a place of joy, a place of fruit, of lives being changed, but also a place of of suffering. Um, If I can just give you a little bit of a taste of what it's like on a... On a Sunday, if you're in the centre of Leeds, outside the north of England's largest homeless shelter called St. George's Crypt, you might see 60 or 70 people gathered outside. Uh, Some of those um, have come to faith in Christ through Lighthouse. Uh, We've had about 80 baptisms in the last last 10 years. Uh, And you've come along because you want to hear about Jesus. And you want to serve and perhaps help us sort of uh, you know wash up the pots after our community meal together, but there's other people outside who've had a week straight from straight from hell. you know you've literally been uh you know assaulted multiple times by others, and you've come along in a in a state of uh, distress. You've got other people there who are active drug users, but they've managed to time the day so that they're, they're not high. And they don't have to go and graft for the next fix. But they've got this little window where they want to come to a place of safety and hear about the love of uh, the love of Jesus. And you've got others arriving who've just come for food and they're surprised to see this. They don't, they don't necessarily know what day of the week it is. And they've just arrived for food and they're going to have food. It's going to be good food. But there's also going to be uh, a church service which they're welcome to attend. So you come inside, you sat around uh, tables having a tea or coffee. And then the service uh, begins uh, begins with these words. So, Lighthouse family, Lighthouse church, let me spend a moment telling you why we call this community Lighthouse. It's because life is full of many different storms. And as I look at you and you look at me, we know what these storms are. Storms of addiction, storms of crisis in mental health storms of loneliness storms of bereavement real storms hurting real people sometimes it feels like we're out at sea and it's pitch black and the waves are high and the wind is against us and in that place we can feel scared scared that we're gonna go under but praise the lord we don't call this family the storm group we call it lighthouse because the lord jesus christ my savior and my friend he said this he said i am the light of the world And he offers each of us right now in the storm of our lives to look to him, the one who can bring hope and peace and joy. That's how our lighthouse services on a Sunday uh, begin. And then we draw in prayers. We act out Bible passages. But during the week, we also offer day centre provision for vulnerable adults because we believe that everybody is made in the image of God and everyone should live lives full of dignity and meaning and purpose. It's such a joy to mm. head up uh, this community.
1: Wow. Amazing, John. And, and, and you know, in a, a season where we're thinking about not just the future, but also um, we, we've talked a lot in these last few episodes about how hard the world feels for a lot of people right now. That, that probably ministered to a few people even listening to this podcast as well. And as the man who came up with satellites, I'm, I now have metaphor envy because that's beautiful. That is that is perfect. So so thank you. And we could probably do an entire episode talking about, um, perhaps we should do an episode talking about the work of the Lighthouse. Um, today, though, we're going to talk about a different kind of area of uh, justice, really, that you are very passionate about and have got increasingly involved in, and that is climate justice. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey with, with that?
2: Probably like... Uh like many people many people my age i'm 46 i was brought up in school and i heard about greenhouse the greenhouse effect and global warming and i can remember you know in my early 20s taking some flights and ticking the box that i should do some carbon offsetting because that's the right thing to do so i knew there was a problem um but didn't put too much thought into it uh, and then back in 2018 two things happened at the same time the first one was that i uh, joined my daughter on a climate uh, climate march and as i listened to the talks i realized that what i was hearing from the speakers was that we were in a far worse catastrophe than i had ever really contemplated and so I began to look into the uh, the science of where we're at. Um, you know, we're at, uh, back then we were at one degrees above pre industrial levels, but now one point two degrees above pre industrial temperatures, and already we are seeing um, fires and floods and instability. But we are heading into into far worse waters Uh, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says that we're on the highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator and the reality is we're at 1.2 degrees now and most of the world is saying we need to keep to you know 1.5 if we can but that's dead in the water that's dead in the water we're we're on a trajectory to 2.7 degrees by the end of the century. Now, that just sounds like a number. What's, you know, 2.7 degrees? Well, that's a world of mass migration, mass starvation, and societal collapse. That's where we're heading, at speed and at pace. The UN estimates by 2050. So that's, that's, not, that's not too far away now, is it? You know, in 20, 2050 within our lifetimes, within the adult, you know, at the prime uh, lifetimes of many of the young people who have been served by the youth workers who sort of listen to this um, podcast, the UN estimates that there'll be up to 1.2 billion refugees in the world, refugees who are having to move from where they live because it's no longer compatible with human life because of extreme temperatures and i'm in a sense i'm sad to say that this um it's not a case of if we act now we can avoid catastrophe hmm. we are facing already we are at catastrophe hmm. we are facing absolute catastrophe in terms of uh, human suffering so that thing was happening uh, getting into the science alongside that i was getting into the i was uh, set to preach a series on the book of revelation now before you think oh here we go he's someone reading the book of revelation <laughs> saying it predicts what's happening yeah. today no but i noticed some parallels and it got me thinking because in the book of revelation the church is called to be faithful to jesus to pledge allegiance to jesus the butchered lamb whatever befalls and the book of revelation describes beastly forces which is actually the the roman empire hmm. um Beastly forces, but the church is called not to follow the beast, which can be deeply attractive to others, but instead to follow the way of the lamb. And it got me thinking that part of the problem with climate breakdown is that we've pledged allegiance to unrestrained capitalism, Mm. to consumerism. What does it mean for the church at this moment to pledge allegiance to Jesus? And so I was playing sort of, well, playing, no, it was a really serious time, actually, thinking about where we're at in times of climate, reading the scriptures, and actually became quite ill, quite ill, because as I tried to read up to, to show that I wasn't looking at the, the mainstream science, I tried to, like, it can't be that bad. The more I read, mm. the more I realised how bad things were. Now I was quite sort of ill in that time with sort of, like a chest infection that seemed to last forever quite down i'd have tears in my eyes when i was putting the kids kids, kids mm-hmm. to bed i felt the lord was calling me to a couple of things one was to lament to find the language and use a language which is there in the scriptures of old which allows us to bring that pain to god because the pain has to go somewhere mm-hmm. so i began writing prayers of lament about where we're at But alongside that, the Lord called, I think gave me what I see now as a prophetic vocation, prophetic vocation. What the prophets of the Old Testament do? They speak truth to power for the sake of the powerless. Mm -hmm. They speak truth in a culture of denial, and they enact hope in a culture of despair. And I felt the Lord was leading me along this path in a world of climate breakdown to uh, to speak and act in prophetic mm-hmm. uh, ways mm. yeah sorry a bit of a long answer no, to you, but- it's, a,
1: it's a brilliant answer yeah. and uh it's not an easy one to listen to and we talked before this um uh recording about the fact that we we deliberately weren't going to pull any punches in 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 how we talked about this but I think what is, what is also true is that for many people, what you're saying is so horrible and unpalatable that we, we naturally turn away from it, don't we? And so um, we, can get, we can get kind of cross about that, but, but it is a reality that people find it very difficult. And in a world where mental health is you know um statistically getting getting worse particularly among young people but actually among the adult population it can just be hard to know what to do with something like this without getting um you know unwell and getting really um overcome by it all
2: yeah and it, uh, we're probably at a unique point in history where this is new for us not um obviously it's unique as in climate breakdown but Throughout history and in parts of the developing world, there's always been this sense that societal collapse might be, you know, just just round the corner, just round the corner. Even in Jesus' own ministry, he wept when he knew what would befall the city. Hmm. It's often a forgotten aspect of Jesus, uh, of Jesus. You know, if we talk about Jesus, we've got an alpha course for youth or whatever. We tend not to focus on that. Jesus was warning the people that there was a coming war with Rome, which would bring destruction. And Jesus wept hmm. when he knew what would befall the city. But he also he brought, gathered around him a group of disciples who were going to live out the kingdom story. In a, in a world which was going to uh, become quite sort of um, uh, difficult and strained, in a world of increasing violence, Jesus was calling his followers to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. Uh, so I, you know, there are clues in Scripture there, but you're absolutely right about the the, the mental health crisis which uh, follows uh, climate breakdown, and I, I and I think we're only beginning to put our toe in the water regarding that i think if we think there's a mental health crisis now it will increase um as many people begin to realize that their futures are not what they Mm. expected Mm. um i was brought up with like a myth of progress things always get better things always get better um and that's true of my generation and those who are older than me, me, and that can be resistant to for us understanding the message of climate breakdown. But for the younger generation coming through, that's long gone. Mm. Or for many, it's long gone. Instead, there's the the myth of uh, despair. It's not progress. It's despair that there is no that there is no future. Um, and actually that 's also not true. there is a future it 's going to be difficult, mm. but even in the midst of storms, as lighthouse world assured me, we can know peace and we can know hope and we can know uh, we can know joy
1: and there is, and there is hope and um you know it it is it perhaps makes the role of faith in society uh different and more pertinent, and um the idea of Christian hope suddenly um may make something of a comeback by necessity um, but it's not based on nothing. It's not based on um, uh, you know wishful thinking and 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 hoping to get out of a mess. you know we do have Christian hope and it is really important We'll talk at the very end of this season uh, about that a bit more um, But can we talk a bit about how we enact? that hope now how we practically respond in the face of of climate breakdown and you know because because presumably that we are making a choice between bad and worse you know we know we know it's definitely going to be a catastrophe but but we can choose as a as a as a society whether we ultimately make that the the, the an even worse version of what it could be
2: um yeah we need to look 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 for the look for the better better catastrophe so yes. there's 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 hope there, so I think there's there's some types of false hope out there that can be false hope where we drop the level of threat of climate breakdown, and we say things like, "If we act now, yeah. we can avoid a world of suffering" or "We can avoid climate breakdown." No, that's that's not true. That's that's false. Um, I think there's another type of hope which I think the church could be can be particularly good at um and you can tell i can work in lighthouse sort of world um and that's hopium huh. hopium is where you give people something to distract them from reality and i don't think that's a that's a, a christian position it's not a justice shape position we need to take reality as it is but i think a christian hope is what i called hope filled realism mm-hmm. it's it's it has a realism about the world and where we're at and the level of em- emergency, but still dares, because we are the people who know both cross and resurrection, and we are new creation people. We have hope because we know that the darkest day is not the final day. Hmm. I mean, what's the what's the the tell the dream we have for our. Uh, young people under our care i think one of the dreams if we have a new testament perspective is that our young people are formed and shaped into the image of christ formed and shaped into the image of christ so the hope of a certain type of employment in the future the hope of having a civilization that flourishes that that might not be there but the hope of us being formed into the image of Jesus is still very, is well and truly there. I think there is hope, but we need to be careful how we uh, articulate it. It should be Jesus-shaped, as well as seeking to try to avert the worst of what may be. And I think we should try and do that. Another way of looking at hope is that we lean into something called cruciform adaptation. We recognise the world is changing, but in that we seek to be cruciformed, Jesus shaped those who are full of self-giving, sacrificial love. One might expect within the lighthouse community, with all the pain and tragedy and early deaths which happen there, that it's a place of deep sadness and depression. No, it's a place where the spirit of Christ is at work and joy is tangible. Mm. So I think you know we we can and we should have hope. Hmm. um but let's not drop the level of threat and emergency
1: so what is it what what does it practically look like to act and respond um and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna start with a level which i know you're not gonna think is enough so you know doing the recycling uh you really? know switching to an electric car th- those sorts of things like are those the things that we should be um prioritizing doing is that the level of what we can practically do when there are mass polluting nations and massive organizations creating all this kind of, um, you know, greenhouse gases and so on. Um, or, or is there more, is there, is the, does the Christian like practical Christian response look like more
2: than that? Yeah. Recycling flying less, you know, these, these things are good. They're in fact, not no brainers, but we shouldn't do them in such a sense that we, we think, right i've done my uh i've done my bit or we just join these things of recycling um to still an extreme consumerism um just a little side point here i think that the church in the in developed world on the whole has bowed the knee to the unholy trinity of consumerism unrestrained capitalism and individualism mm-hmm. so we need to make sure that our individual lifestyle choices which are really important aren't just within a larger narrative of consumerism yeah. you know i think we need to sort of um seek to see the downfall of these uh these beasts um but what can we do practically well as an individual uh, says uh as a young person we might say, there's not a lot i can do but this is where sort of collective power works as well um the change that is needed to avert the worst worst case scenarios is systemic change. And this is where we need to uh, um, gain our political voice. And I guess someone might say, well, I'm not into politics. Well, it doesn't so much mean that as, as such. How do we enact social change? How can we bring that about? And in fact, we're seeing you know, across uh, schools and across youth groups, across the country, that the change can happen. That a small group of young people can change the culture of a uh, change the culture of a, a church or affect uh, affect the school. Well, how can we harness that power to bring about change? But then we also need to be realistic. Whatever we've been doing for the last thirty years has not worked. Emissions have been on the increase in all of the time when we've known that there's a problem. So something needs to give, something needs to change. And the church world, which I'm sort of a a part of, evangelical charismatic world, tends to be apolitical, which means that we don't do politics. Actually, I think it's time for the church to uh, gain its voice, Mm -hmm. to gain its voice. What would it mean for all of the Christians in... Manchester to understand that the expansion of flights at this moment in history is immoral and mm-hmm. it's the world's most poorest who are suffering. And what would it mean for Christians in Manchester, from the youngest to the oldest, to get behind a movement for change in a similar way which we saw in the United States in the civil rights movement, where people be thinking and dreaming, imagining and for some people putting their uh uh putting themselves up for political office for others putting their bodies on the line in acts of protest
1: and can we just talk, touch on that a little bit so um it, you know you've got a little bit of connection with this area um but but you know what what do you think about the um the idea of of Christians actually getting involved in direct peaceful disruptive protest it's People find it annoying. People get arrested for it, you know. But so, is it something that that Christians should be involved in?
2: I absolutely, absolutely think so. There's a, the Christianity has a rich heritage going all the way back to uh, the Old Testament. But let's look at, at Jesus. He went into the heart of the establishment in Jerusalem Temple and he flipped tables. You know, so it's it's there in Jesus, but also mm-hmm. within Christian history, at various moments of Christians. Refusing to obey um, the law when they see that the uh, the law or business as usual is leading to mass suffering mm. and mass uh, uh, mass death. I remember I was outside um, uh, the Bank of England doing a protest, leading some uh, uh, prayers and a protest outside the door of the Bank of England. Lots of police there, with just a half a dozen of us there. And there was one lady there called Angie, a lovely, lovely sort of uh, older lady. Got chatting to her and one day herself and five friends went into an aircraft hangar of a military base. They went and hammered, I think it was like an F-15 fighter plane, um, smashed a glass on it and then sat on the floor and held hands and sang songs and waited for the police to arrive. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, these F-15 fighter planes were used in acts of uh, genocide over in Indonesia. And uh, they got remanded. Six months later, they are in court and eventually found not guilty because the judge actually accepted that their small act of smashing on a war plane was preventing a greater catastrophe. Wow! Um, and in fact, I think it was the president of Indonesia once had repaired that plane and asked for it to be sent out to them um you know this is the u k arms industry you know sending uh sending planes making profit over over mass death um the the president said, i don't want that particular plane because it's cursed Wow, but actually the truth is that plane was it was blessed yeah. there was a kingdom moment in which an alternative narrative is given that it's just fair game to sell weapons that are going to be used in in uh, acts which uh, create sort of mass civilian deaths. Um, and sadly, uh, as I've already said, the last last 30 years, normal ways of going about things with petitions and songs, marching around things, uh, sort of legally don't bring media attention. I'll give you an example of this. I was in a, a legal march, oh, uh, about six months ago, uh, down in London, and there may have been 50,000 of us on the streets, 50,000. Of us. Um, and it wasn't really disrupting because the police closed the roads and you went round, made lots of noise. It was a very beautiful thing, but didn't make the news. And when it doesn't make the news, it's not stirring up a national conversation. Hmm. After this had finished, um I joined about a dozen others to wear an orange jacket with Just Stop Oil to step onto a road and walk slowly, which was causing disruption on the roads. Well, that night on TV, with just a dozen people causing disruption, there was conversations taking place on all major news channels. Um, So, yes, I think at times, as the civil rights movement shows in the United States, um, where a group of people will cause disruption and break the law, to bring about to bring about justice, mm. um, and I know, I mean, it, it sounds it sounds very serious, or it can sound wacky, but we're facing a future where many, many millions will die. This is even in the best case scenarios. Mm. Many millions will die because of a small minority. The people who are invested in business as usual, Hmm. and they are not going to change uh, just overnight because of you know um, they've seen a David Attenborough documentary. They need pressure put on them.
1: And and it's really important. It's really important to say, John, that you're not compelled by your politics. That that's not what this is. Uh, What you've what you've how you've explained this is that that your love for people and and that's. Born in the crucible of of uh more than a decade working alongside those that are suffering and and your love for jesus that that is what compels you that is that is what uh, it is your Christian response
2: I think it's a story it's a story of love. We live in two stories: the story of the kingdom, the story of love, the story of climate breakdown, and love compels us to to act it's um I think it was Cornell West not to be confused with Kanye West. <laughs> who said that justice is what love looks like in public. Hmm. And then also said, and tenderness is what love looks like in private. And my encouragement to uh, youth workers listening to this is to move into love, move into Jesus. And in doing so, justice is what love looks like in public. We need to be the justice-shaped people of God. But then also that last bit, which I haven't touched on yet, um, is tenderness is what looks looks like in private let's also be tender and kind to young people who through no fault of their own are now living in a world which is um is heading through and into catastrophe let's be justice shaped and let us be tender let's be kind this is this is the kingdom story.
1: John thank you so much for sparing the time to talk about that it's really important stuff I love your passion and I thank you for not sugarcoating it I thank you for telling us the whole truth and giving us a hopeful challenge too
2: thank you thank you for having me on
0: Thank you, Martin. Um, and as you say, heavy, heavy stuff, but vital that we're listening, vital that we don't avoid the uncomfortable, unthinkable spaces. Just for you, how as an interviewer, like how do you find yourself fighting the temptation to try and get things upbeat? When when you're chatting with somebody about a really tough area where there isn't, you know, immediate hope. How, how do you navigate that? Just out of interest, you've done loads of interviews in your life, haven't you, as a journalist, yeah. Christian to magazine? How, how
1: do you yeah, navigate I, that? I mean, that makes me sound like the sort of uh, uh, pound shop Michael Parkinson, doesn't it? Um, I um I, I I did I did sit there with because uh, Dave the producer and I sat there together as we interviewed John, and I watched Dave slumping lower and lower into the into his seat and onto the desk uh just listening to it you know it was just a difficult listen and obviously you've just everyone's just had the experience of listening to john um because you do you do feel like you're giving being given pretty unremitting uh bad news without any blue sky at all and um and it is very tempting to rush to the blue sky now you know we we uh We are going to get there in terms of this season of uh, of the podcast. That we are heading towards a final episode where we talk all about hope and uh, and that's and it's we've already done it. It's a brilliant interview, Um, but um, but yeah, it is incredibly tempting. But I think we do need, as John says. We need to sit in that painful place of lament. And so congratulations if you made it to the end of that and if you got to this bit of the, of the podcast, because it is t- it is a tough listen, but it's really important that we engage. Now it's probably also important to say there are other perspectives out there. You know, there may be people listening to this going, Well, I've read this book or I've heard this person speak. There are people who take other perspectives. But it is definitely not responsible to ignore what someone like John says. You know, he is going to be the agitating voice. He is taking a more extreme view of things. Um, but I think it is is irresponsible not to engage or even listen.
0: Now, as we record this in real time, it's Advent time, isn't it? And uh, I think there's a lot of sense within the Christian calendar of We're in the darkness waiting for the light to come. So I wanted to ask you, Martin, because you're not now a you're not you're not officially the youth worker of church-based youth work. We've we've travelled with you long enough to know that you've handed that over in your words to somebody far better than yourself. But um, but this is a key time in terms of youth ministry, isn't it? And ramping up for the Christmas collective worships or the summer parties that you have at Christmas time, whatever you want to do to deconstruct this space. So, what are your favourite things coming up in terms of Christmas and your, and times of young people? What are you looking forward to as we head to Advent?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love doing. Um, we, we always do a sort of carol service just for young people, um, and so I love that kind of opportunity for young people to set the the tone and the agenda and, and and they get the Christmas story enough that it's one that they can really own and build a service around. So I think that's great. I think because they're so comfortable with that particular Bible story, they're like, oh yeah, no, we can take this one. So so I love that because you can you can empower young people to do all sorts of fun and interesting things. And we've done some brilliant stuff over the years at the church I've been involved in. Um, around kind of reimagining carols, uh, carols, and different using different musical styles, and and all sorts of stuff. So that's in fact, Rachel. I think you came and spoke at one of those.
0: I think I did a day, long time ago. I
1: did. Um, oh, but, I
0: love that idea.
1: But they also, I tell you what, something that has stuck with me is um when I've talked to young people more generally about uh the idea of participating in church and being being more excited about church i've more than once heard young people talk about how much they love the nativity crib services where you can dress up um and lots of young people uh you know over the years have have sort of come along to those christingles or whatever and 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 they also dress as shepherds or kings or and i'm not going to go too far into this really inappropriately as angels or some other similar scantily clad bible character um <laughs> that has happened as well um but i've heard young people say like we we love that we'd love to do that more we'd love to do acting out bible stories we'd love to like be on the stage as a character and uh it's funny that's the only time we ever do it like it's a weird thing we only do it once a year it's just for that one story it turns out that at least the strange young people that i know would quite like to reenact you know daniel and the lion's den or something
0: a little bit of two town head action yeah i i am um, i was just listening to you talk about a whole car service by young people for young people i think i'm gonna nick that idea martin but what we do what, what i what i love is live animals well not that we'd have like dead ones but i love donkeys <laughs> Cheeky camel, chuck a llama, if you can. And then, and I love the combination of donkeys and people dressed up walking the rainy streets of our estate in Blackburn. There's something about that that I just think feels really real and raw and exactly the same we gather lots of children and young people as we're walking down the street like it becomes an exciting time so i love that kind of stuff and i do enjoy the collective worships of going into schools and doing road shows, but i really love the animals that's where it is for me so i'm looking forward to that this christmas definitely
1: uh i i think it's a real opportunity at christmas young people do tend to come back to church it's, a, it's just a natural especially if they dipped out for a few weeks or even longer you know Christmas does have that opportunity for invitation for re-engaging um you know for because it's familiar um there's lots of there's lots of opportunities for youth work that exist because because it's christmas so um yeah even if you're even if your um autumn term has been disappointing you, you know Christmas can pull it all back i think
0: Oh, I love it. That sounds beautiful. So I think with that ringing in our ears, I can I can hear joyful, joyful. We, are, I can hear it. I can hear it suddenly ramping up in my head. So whatever this week holds for you. We hope this episode has inspired you, challenged you. Stick with us. Stick with us for the rest of this season as we explore more of what it looks like for us to be ministers among young people into God knows what. And as we said, we promise we will end with a big fat slice of hope. So go well. It's the endless...
2: This is Patreon Trouble bonus of
0: content. ...of you and I. But um, you talk Twattle. about... <laughs> Definitely, so, so that's not
1: my... staying in.
0: Oh, Sorry. <laughs> That is the outtake. Go again. T- Go tw- again.
1: Look. It might be worth resetting and going again.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole thing...
1: It's cause I, can't I was going to leave it in. No, I was going to leave that in. But, but the last little bit the like twiddle and twaddle, that's going out. So.
0: <laughs> oh, and the dog's...